0: there and welcome back to PH uh, Expanded Podcast. I am Mike McDonald and uh, first of all, thank you for reading my piece today on yet another big win. Um, these are still fairly new, aren't they? Getting used to scoring lots and lots of goals and believing that we will even score one goal was something that midway uh, through September I was still struggling to see who was going to put it in the net. But um, anyway, we're here now and the improvements have been quite quick, Um, like something clicked, came together. Um, So try not to get overly excited, but it's the Christmas season and being an Arsenal fan is a good thing, good place right now that we're in, not just because we're moving up the league and starting to score goals and staying defensively solid and all the things that you need, but that we're a young team doing that too. A young, very talented team doing that. And then, of course, we've got the introduction of yet another super talented youngster who has been um, touted as one of, if not the best, player to come out of the Arsenal Academy. So he still has to fulfil that but as far as a talent in the academy is concerned um he is really quite something and i've watched quite a bit of him i was introduced to charlie patino not in person but uh, dave seeger who uh, owns Gunnerstown, town this um this blog um he is friends with charlie patino and has been for a while and he nudged me to start paying attention to him so I did a couple of years ago, and found some clips, and it will. It didn't take me long. Uh, I suppose with that coach's eye, that um, I, I suppose I've I've honed it over thirty one years of coaching. I uh, I thought it's, it's kind of easy to see somebody who just looks like he's naturally gifted, and even though you'd think everybody that makes it into professional football is naturally gifted, otherwise you wouldn't make it that far. That is not the case. Um, somebody, that word gifted is thrown around, and uh, not many players have that, the God given gift. Um, and I think you define it by separating those who make sport look easy or easier. Not easy, but just easier. And Charlie Patino does that off the ball to re- prepare himself to uh, receive in spaces where he's comfortable, um, alone and knows where his friends are um, and uh, has a natural glide with the ball, an ease of stride and just a fluidity that's just quite dreamy to watch. Um, So you won't have seen that yesterday if that was the first time you've ever seen him play because he played more with his back to goal in uh, situations to connect with others and didn't really get many opportunities. So what you saw would have been just a few touches, of course, and you saw a goal, which is something that he brings occasionally, but that's not why he he has been given the opportunity that he has. And what was interesting, of course, was that um, Arteta chose a bench stronger than maybe the club's ever had in any game in the history of ever, And one youngster. Um, For whatever reason, as I said in my blog, he didn't choose another one. I would have chosen another one and not had two central midfielders on the bench. But he didn't. But he trusted Charlie Patino. We'll get into him just a a little later. But um, anyway, things are looking up. I think that was my point. About 10 minutes ago, I've been rambling on. Anyway, (laughs) let's figure out what the sliding doors moment was in that game. I'm not sure if that game leant towards a particular moment that was pivotal. It wasn't that kind of game so much. But if I was to pick one thing that seemed um, to set off the correct attitude uh, with the players, I suppose it was the formation. It was playing that 4-3-3 with that central single pivot in El Elneny. And having Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe as two eights, a big triangle, with El- Elneny ahead of him. Um, and what that did, tactically, is it stopped Sunderland from being able to press in midfield. And so they looked very energetic. And to c- give Sunderland credit, which I have yet to do uh, so far, they play some neat stuff. And I was rather impressed. Um, but they weren't allowed to press, and that was important. I think they wanted to. You could see the first few minutes they wanted to, but if they pressed Elneny, there was a gap because Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe were so high, intentionally high, coming back from a high position into midfield. So the two central midfielders for Sunderland, because they played a four four two, had to sit back and keep an eye on Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard. And so it was a conundrum for them. But it moved them back uh, because that's what Smith-Rowe and Erdegaard were doing. They were moving back almost into the forward line and then checking back from that position, which gave us our outball in our first phase of play into our second phase and made everything just a little easier. Um, of course, it also gave us more attacking-minded players in the final third. So as much as it uh, looked a little rough when they scored, that was more down to individual error, I think, than the single pivot. Um, and Arteta did recognise that it was a little bit harem scarum at times when he decided to put Xhaka alongside El Neni to secure it a little more. So he recognised that. But um, looks like that there's going to be games or times when we will want to utilise that four-three-three. So I'd say that that was probably. The moment is the coach's decision to do that, which seemed uh, at the time and retrospectively to be quite a an intelligent idea. Okay, the positive I want to talk about uh makes me rather excited. So I wrote a piece for La Grove back ooh, beginning of the season-ish, um maybe just off the back of our first three games sort of into our first win and um I got a really interesting reaction the people that like to shout shouted at me um because they said I was being uh, overly hopeful um in fact I the purpose of the piece was just to state uh how I saw and see Arsenal playing football what is their style what are they trying to do and um and those that um, don't shout so quickly seem to really enjoy it. In fact, I think I got around about 50,000 views on that piece, more than anything I've ever written in my life. And so if you're interested, it's the pinned tweet at the top of my timeline. Go read it, because, not because anything I do is any good. It's it's just will give you um, an idea of what Arteta is trying to do. And so I say all of that because I want to say this... Um, My conclusion in that piece was that uh, Arteta um, is teaching a new textbook, so to speak. Like the old textbook has some of what you need, but it's old. It's been thrown out, so these players have had to learn from a new manual, new textbook. And it's one that has Juego de Posicion, positional play, as its title, and it's all about... Um, the five vertical lanes uh, of attacking and getting players into positions and mostly about uh, being ready to defend when you're attacking. And this is the modern game. He's not the only coach doing it. There's a handful of them around the world. And this is what Arsenal are trying to do. But I'll let you go read that if you so wish. Uh, But that needs to be said in order for me to say that uh, Arteta seems to coach in stages, seems to take a concept from his, his textbook, right, and coach it until it's done. Almost like you do at school, you have to learn this part of algebra before you're going to be able to understand the next part. And regardless of results and tests, you're going to have to get this right before we can move on. And maybe that's why the progress was too slow for too many Arsenal fans. And now, so, we fast forward to where we are right now. And Arsenal have graduated, as you can probably see from being just a defensively solid team who struggle to pass out of the back, struggle to be considered a positional and possession-based team. And they now are. And then we've moved into the realm, the beautiful realm of the final third, where it looks like we're being coached more in the final third. And uh, how to execute better movement in the box. The the type of crosses that are detested by defenders and um, more dangerous. Which, uh, of course, you will have seen in uh, your years watching Manchester City. Where the ball is fizzed at top speed in that gap between the last defender and the goalkeeper. And if you watched the game yesterday, you'll have seen Tavares. It was the second goal, wasn't it? Fizzed that ball at top speed. And Eddie just had to connect. But it's all about who gets there first. And making it extremely difficult for defenders. Um, So, I am starting to see a pattern in that. The crossing quality is better. Our set plays, of course, are much better. And we're starting to see glimpses of better movement. ...from certain players, midfielders in particular... ...getting into the box, into that second wave behind the forwards... ...we just desperately need uh, a striker to uh, offer better movement... ...like Eddie did yesterday, right? So, there we are. That is finally, hallelujah... ...that is a positive that we look like we're being coached... ...in the final third to be more effective... ...and then hopefully, uh, in time... The page will be turned and the next chapter will be ruthlessness, where Arsenal are capable of turning this exciting dominant football into fours and fives like some of the teams above us are able to do because there's some capability to do that there. Um, There seems to be a support cast behind the striker that are getting goals regularly now and threatening regularly. And uh, that's something that Arsenal haven't been for many, many years is ruthless and just want to pound teams and pour it on. uh, Attack being the best form of defence anyway. okay. um, I want to just go back to Charlie Patino. I want to take a best guess at what Arteta was doing because he was not making me happy when it went. I think it was about the 60th minute. Well, just before, when we scored our that our fourth and me and my son were begging, we were begging Arteta through that television to put on Charlie Patino because we could make no sense of how home to Sunderland may be the last game of the season that is quote-unquote easy and you're winning 4-1 and it's at home. If you're not going to play him now, when are you going to play him? And so then we started to get upset. And then when he came on, which was about the 80th minute, I think, I looked at my son and I said, you know, Arteta's probably right. I said, this is sort of how it goes. If you would have played him for half an hour and he'd have been really good, there's a huge clamour for him to take Xhaka's place or Nenny's place. And everyone gets overexcited. He's the back pages of the newspapers. He's all the chat on social media. And there's pressure. Now, not that Arteta would just fold and put him in just because there's pressure. It's not that. It's more about what the pressure does to Charlie Patino. He's 18 years of age. He's grown up in a different culture, a different way to Mikel Arteta. And... Um, where uh, especially a culture where it's about now, right now. And patience, no, no. No, we don't have patience. We don't wait and we don't trust that this is all going to be good in the end. We want it now. No, in fact, we don't want it now. We want it yesterday. And especially if you have an agent, they want it now. And he would be getting more pressure because his... He's the top of the conversation and he's proved it because he had 30 minutes and he was wicked brilliant, right? So I think that might be why he just got 10. And you will have seen this same thing happen for quite a few years with Phil Foden, you will remember. Where it was obvious that he was good enough. That wasn't the argument, but it was trying to give him little by little. And even when he played well, he got taken out of the team for years. And then... All of a sudden, I think it's probably this season or maybe the back end of last season, he started playing regularly, breaking into the England team and being... I'm not saying he's the first name in the team sheet, Phil Foden at Manchester City, because I don't think anybody is on that team. Their their squad is much of a muchness, but I think it's sort of managing Charlie Patino rather than Arteta's concern about managing the fan base for a player who, if you were at the game and I was told this by somebody at the game, had a song before he'd even come on and had his debut. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of the club, to my knowledge. You know, when Fabregas and Fiera and all the, the big stuffs, before they'd ever played a game for Arsenal, people were not creating songs for them. And so the, the clamour is big. And maybe Arteta's right, even though it did pain me to only see him for about 15 minutes. OK, so moving on, I wanted to talk about a single moment that happened in the game that bothered me, but sparked a thought that I've had for a while. and For those of you who've been reading my work for a while, you'll have heard me talking about this. In the blog, I've never spoken about it, but it was in the second half, I believe. And their left back who struggled with Pepe um, all afternoon, right? The one that got nutmegged twice. I think his name was very American, wasn't it? It was Denver Hume. That's what I wrote down. Is that really his name? Denver Hume. Sounds like an Old Etonian chap, doesn't it? Who's going to take over from Boris Johnson? The lovely Prime Minister of England. Hmm. Okay. anyway, Denver Hume brought down, doesn't matter who it was, because I can't remember either. But he cynically brought him down halfway into our half and we were on a breakaway. And that always riles me more than most moments in watching a football match. Because nobody will ever convince me that the rules are set up to deal with those moments correctly. So as much as I'd love to leave the rules alone and not make rules for the sake of rules, there's no way that that is the correct rule um, for that moment. You take somebody out, professional foul, and the guy gets a yellow card and his entire team is allowed to go get set up behind the ball. So instead of having a breakaway, something like a three-on-two, you now have, well, you just, you have a free kick 70 yards from where you're trying to get to and it's back to seven versus 11. No way that that is fair. And right, so (coughs) I've said for a while now and I'm trying to get some people on board is to have a sin bin. Um, There's so many fouls in the game and coaches that are taking advantage of tactical fouls, especially the, the folks up in Manchester, who, whenever you do finally string something together, they just bring you down, rotationally foul you, take turns, bring you down. And you can't put anything together because they'll just bring you down and they're so smart at it, it's just a hip nudge or just a, a pull, a little pull enough to put you off balance, to slow you down. And they're more than happy to get free kick even more than happy to get a yellow card because they're taking advantage of the fact that the rules are stupid. You sh- he should get more. There should be a far greater punishment for somebody intentionally stopping you from advancing. And I think that there should be a sin bin and they but maybe haven't given it too much thought beyond that, but whether it's a 5, 10, 15 minute, 20 minute and the referee can pick what uh, he gives as far as the severity of the the um, offence, you know. Um, so that chap who's going to be the new Prime Minister of England, Denver Hume, would have been off the field for, let's say, 15 minutes. And they're down a man for 15 minutes. And that makes me believe in a system that is fairer for what he did. Because Arsenal probably had a, let's throw a number at it, a... I don't know, 30 to 50% chance of scoring from that situation. And yet he was just given a yellow card and their entire team got back. Well, I'd I'd bring him down too. So anyway, let's step off that um, soapbox for just a minute. Last thing I want to talk about is just another thought I've had For the incoming striker, whether that's in January or uh, in the summer. I think that there's going to be somebody coming in up front uh, in January. But here's another way to do it. Arsenal could trust Lacazette and maybe, let's say, Nketiah. And then we've got Martinelli as a backup at centre-forward. And if they can't get the the player that they want, the let's say it's a Calvert-Lewin, a Vlajovic, whoever it might be, and they think they can get them in the summer, then why not go buy somebody who will be a backup in the short term and a backup in the long term? So, you know, a young, promising player, similar age to what we already have in Martinelli and in Ketia, you know, low 20s, who you think can fix the short-term problem, Uh, somebody who's strong, good hold-up play, a threat in the air, in the box. But when the player that you really want comes in, this guy can slide from being maybe first choice or coming off the bench and playing in games where we need that hold-up play and that aerial threat back to second choice. So not necessarily buying your first choice in a hurry. There's a name uh, that I've grabbed here that I saw uh, on social media, uh, I saw Clive from Arsenal Vision talking about a player I'd never heard of. And I went to go watch him. And I can't say that I'm an expert on him. I've just watched one YouTube video. But his name is Gianluca Sch- 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 Schemacker. Schemacker? Not Schemack. Not that guy with a terrible, greasy hairstyle. Um, Gianluca Schemacker. And he plays for Sassuolo and he's six foot five, and he's 22 years old and he's just got in the Itali- Italian national team and played in two of their World Cup qualifiers. So he's obviously made of something, right? And he's scoring goals for Sassuolo now. Uh, so that type of player, you know, somebody who's not going to cost more than maybe you know, 10, 15 million and uh, helps us in the short term, To have that type of player in our squad. Low risk. Haven't spent a lot of money on him. But could turn out to be a big deal. And could. You never know. Turn out to be the player that you didn't think he would be. You bought him as a backup. Or even as a third choice. Just to fill a need that the team had. And he flies. And then he becomes your first choice. You never know right. So that's just another way. To look at that whole thing I suppose. Anyway that's enough. I think that's probably the longest podcast I've done. And I am cognizant to the fact that you probably don't want to hear one person talking for more than 15 or 20 minutes. So I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to go downstairs and go eat some crepes. Because my wife is a genius at French cooking. Lucky me. See ya.